Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. Strut on a line, it's discord and rhyme. He's on the hunt down, he's after you, and he's hungry like Michael Wolf. And there you have it, voila! One of my favorite songs meets one of my favorite bylines. Michael Wolf, media columnist at various times for USA Today, Vanity Fair, Hollywood Reporter, New York Magazine, British GQ, and The Guardian. He founded Newser and authored five books, including the bestseller Burn Rate and the month-old book Television is the New Television. He's scathing, sardonic, curmudgeonly, financially literate, and well-sourced. Media executives cry about him to their therapists. We have Michael Wolf on for the hour. Full disclosure, stay with us. Local broadcast of Full Disclosure made possible by the support of Elwood Thompson's, Richmond's independently owned organic and local market, proudly feeding the community and supporting local farmers for 25 years, located at the top of Carytown. And by Best Bully Sticks, a passionate pet company dedicated to natural products for dogs. Visit them at bestbullysticks.com and call 1-877-483-5853. Joining me at NPR's New York City studios is fellow Duran Duran fan Michael Wolf. Uh, sir, have you ever been called the Wolf of Madison Avenue? I have never been called the Wolf of Madison Avenue. Would you like to? Could we start that? Does it Does it have any cachet to it? I'm not sure. Well, I hope that Wolf has some cachet. I'm not sure Madison Avenue has any cachet anymore. And we're going to dive into that. You talk about that quite a bit in your book, Television is a New Television. But I want to first get at something vaguely um, uh, psychoanalytical. What is it about uh, reading your bylines, especially on a Monday morning? I love it when they're scathing. Is there something masochistic about me when you hold up someone like a Mike Bloomberg or a, a Jeff Bukas at Time Warner, some of these people who are kind of beyond reproach, who don't get studied all that much, who are not in the limelight, and, and you kind of bring them down our level and spank them? Well, I, I, you know, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I try to elevate them. But I think what works is bringing them to life. These are all um, immensely interesting, um, larger-than-life, flawed, and yet compelling people, and almost all who I've had a long relationship with. So it, uh, it lets me, um, I think, write about them in, a, in, a, in an intimate way. Well, what is it about this industry? You know, I wish, like, let's say 20 years ago. Let's take you back to 1994. I don't know where you were. Maybe New York Magazine writing a story? I was in the uh, the Internet business. I had my company then was one of the first and largest Internet companies in New York. So was there part of you that, you know, you were more than a fly on the wall when these guys at Time, Inc., the big you know, magazine division of Time Warner and the New York Times and the Washington Post and Forbes and Business Week, McGraw-Hill, all these guys at once said, heck, uh, Netscape, let's just put it all up for free. Uh, there was Pathfinder at Time, Inc. And now that they're still kind of 21 years later paying for this original sin of, of 
confidence in a business model that didn't exist. These uh, print advertising, as you've written in the book, is just it's a fraction, it's a shell of what it used to be. Um, a lot of these companies have gone under. They've been sold. My old magazine, Business Week, went for a song to Mayor Mike. Uh, Time Warner jettisoned its its once-storied magazine division that had a drink cart that would come around during close. What, where were you when that happened? Oh, and were I, you I screaming was, bloody murder? I was not only right in the middle of it, but I was one of the um, one of the guiltiest people. Mm. Um, um, and I was one of those people who went around to those um, offices at all of these media companies and said, "You know nothing. You're toast. Um, you're um, you're the past. You're going to die because you don't understand this new world," um, implying that I understood this new world, but in fact, I had no understanding of this new world as no one um, had any understanding at that time. So it really was a, a moment in which um, um, leadership or in the future was just assumed by people who assumed it. So if you could talk in an authoritative manner, if you were one page ahead in reading the internet manual, then you were the expert. So that's functionally one of the reasons we're in this mess, because um, because nobody knew anything and everybody became so insecure about what they didn't know that they, um, that they submitted and capitulated to um, um, uh, a terrible, a terrible set of decisions. What could they have done, or did anybody do it right? Counterfactually, looking back. By the way, it was a it was a flush period. Uh, you know uh, that that I remember they used to say Fortune magazine had a thud factor. By the end of the decade, you had so many uh, dot coms and financial services firms. Some of the things that you covered in burn rate that were just they were throwing advertising at you, and you could just give them any copy. You knew this at the industry standard at Red Herring. Uh, did anybody kind of capture and 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 solidify and monetize that fleeting moment? Yeah, yeah, the television industry. I mean, that's the that's the contrast. Um, the television industry basically did nothing. They looked at their business and said, "We have a good business. Why should we change it in any possible way?" And they didn't change it. Um, the print industry and the publishing industry, which also had a good business, um, did change it. They said, "Oh God, you know, um, you know, we we better be cool." Or um, we better listen to these people who seem smarter than we are, or what, whatever the reason. Um, but, um, um, but to a man, they basically rolled over and um, and put in place a whole set of practices that would that would shortly doom them. Do you recall this? Uh, I might be the only one out there who recalls this Michael Lewis cover on New York Magazine, mid two thousand, was a TV crashing on the pavement. And he was presaging the end of television as we know it, specifically because the TiVo technology would absolutely box out advertisers. And now to this day, uh, really the numbers don't compare. The, the best rated sitcom on CBS in, in 2015, for as cash cow as it is, doesn't compare to what the best rated sitcom uh, did in terms yeah, of yeah, numbers but, but, and advertising. Um, what, 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 but in terms of money, it actually does. Because what you've done, I mean, television, the television people effectively, um, I, I'm, I'm not sure what they actually saw in hindsight, but what they did was that they replaced the revenue stream. Um, 
So you have two revenue streams in the television business now. So a television, which used to be solely supported by advertising, um, now divides its revenues equally between advertising, and there's not appreciably less mm-hmm. television advertising revenues, um, and subscription. So they basically have doubled their their revenues. A, 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 grand and brilliant business. But there are some haves, as you say in the book, maybe five or six or seven networks that do uh, have a willingness to pay and can shake down the cable companies and ergo the subscribers. And then there's all this other dreck, you know, the rest of the 480 channels on TV that don't have a a real reason for being much less a a kind of an ability to shake down the subscriber. But they do have an ability to Unless it's a cross-subsidization. As, as you put it, shake down the subscriber. I mean, the television model is a bundled model, or put it in a different way, the television model is a hit model. Mm-hmm. So once you have hits, once there are things that you want to see, it's not like the internet, I'll take anything mm-hmm. I get. It's it's things that you absolutely want to see. South Park. Um once you have that leverage, then you have the leverage to bundle. Then you have the leverage to say, huh, if you want this, then you have to take that. Now, you can look at that, and the digital people do, as, as, a, as a crime against the consumer. Um, or you can look at that as actually the reason, the way we get such incredibly good television. So how does this work? Kind of unpack it for me. If you can unpack the bundle. We're, we're reading all this stuff about the bundle being unbundled as we speak. I mean, Verizon is, Fios is advertising against it. You get a lot of ink about cord cutting. You don't seem to subscribe to that. It's and just yet, baloney. This is here. But Michael, I, I, I recently, there's a there's a school of mass comms that I went and spoke to, and I just kind of matter of fact started off the, you know, to, to, to shoot the breeze with them. Like, what do you guys watch on TV? And they all looked at me, they're 20 year olds, like, we don't have TVs. We have iPads. We watch Netflix. We watch stuff on YouTube. Hulu, maybe. Um, so how does that jibe with, with incumbent television and, and the full cable well, well, package still well, working? Um, well, there are, there are a couple of questions there. And just let me begin with the thesis that most things that, that, that we read, most things that we're told um, are um, uh, at best equivocally true. Mm-hmm. It's a major, you know, we're, we're in the middle of an industrial war. Um, and and much of that war is conducted on the basis of propaganda. So the digital people will tell you something that's flatly not true. Not true. It's a lie. They have no business. Um, their business sucks. Um, they cannot make money. They cannot monetize. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, they also have partly because of the propaganda value, partly because the venture of, of bubble. the yes, yeah. of the of the way the business is is organized with one investor supporting another investor, they have the ability to raise investment capital and to increase valuations. Therefore, they seem to have businesses. So this is a fabulous illusion that we have built. But you do subscribe, you know, pardon the pun to the idea that the twenty something, the much ballyhooed millennial right now is amenable to paying $100 plus and, and, for a cable and also, yes, package? Well, I, I do. And the, the, your, your other point of, of, of you talking to 20-somethings who say we don't watch television, um, and, <laughs> and what is it that they watch? Um, um, you they, say Netflix is television. Uh, really. what, what is it? What is it but television? It's a, it's a kind of um, 
Um, I mean, I have long believed twenty-somethings, twenty-somethings are gener- generally morons, but mm-hmm. this, uh, this certainly um, um, is a good example. Of course, they're watching television. Everything that they're watching on Netflix, on Hulu, on 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 any over-the-top service is product made by the television industry, um, uh, in which the television industry has been paid for. What does Netflix pay the television industry, Hollywood and the television industry? They pay them $3 billion a year. Um, this is um, this is the television business. It's not the Netflix business. It's the television business. But when we see something like House of Cards or Orange is the New Black or Netflix itself being a, I mean, they're not controlling the rents kind of content to delivery soup to nuts. They're not cutting out really the media conglomerates. No, no. Who do you think that they go to? Who who, who makes this stuff? Right. But to go back Ma'am? to your original. No, no, no. They no, don't. no. They don't. They go to the, the the industry that makes television and they say, this is what I want. This is what I will pay you for. Um, and as a matter of fact, now, one of the interesting things, it's it's this uh, this wonderful time in the television industry because Netflix, not having no idea what it's doing, pays um, pays wildly um, um, inflated prices. Were you surprised that Netflix kind of got that, that that Reed Hastings and all them? That was there, there was a, a fork in the road for them, I think, three, four years ago where they had to decide between the DVD delivery business and streaming. And is streaming going to really disrupt us if we – they only give away so much on streaming. There is original content. But if you're looking for an art house film or something that still belongs to the studio libraries, you, you really have no choice but to get it on DVD on Netflix. Right. Well, they give away. Um, I mean, anything that there's a market for, they manage obviously to get. And anything that comes on the market, you know, I mean, their their interest is in building their library as 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 deep as possible. Um, yeah. No, I, I I think it was a um, you know a, a smart move on, on on their part that move that move from delivering DVDs to to streaming, getting streaming technology. It, tech- it was essentially a technology issue. How can we get this to work once that began to work? Um, and I, it, it seemed a logical way to go. But I never, nevertheless, I think that they were as probably as surprised by anyone else as this f- very, very rapid change in consumer behavior. One thing I never understood about the big uh, media conglomerates, we're talking about uh, Disney, Viacom, uh, CBS, uh, Time Warner, which has, I believe, New Line, um, you know, NBC Universal, that the technology is there and now broadband is ubiquitous. Why can't they just charge whatever they want uh, for streaming of their libraries on their websites? It's not that hard to set up. Why do they even need a Netflix? You could just go to Google and say, where can I stream um, you know, uh, well, I, I mean, out of obviously, Africa. Uh, obviously, they're starting to do that now. I mean, I mean, HBO has announced plans. CBS has announced plans. But you plans. know, it's a hodgepodge. I have to go to either iTunes or Amazon streaming or Netflix. You know, you have to do a little. Uh, as the end user, uh, you have well, to do a little now, homework. Well, they're now. They're actually not now. Now they're talking. HBO has a. Um, you'll you'll be able to stream directly from HBO and CBS. You you can now stream directly. But gosh, from, we're only now hearing. From, about C- that. from CBS, right. but remember these these are um, uh, very complex, very profitable businesses. Um, so if you're in the television business, if you're in the tele- if you're licensing content, um, if you have have relationships with with cable providers 
who are paying you enormous amounts of money, why would you want to undermine that? Um, so the print people undermined their own business. They were just seemed to be completely blind to where their revenue came from. Television has been uh, incredibly astute about that. Don't undermine bi- your your businesses. Don't balkanize yourself. Mm. And no reason not to deal with Netflix and its very familiar business to them. Um, you know, the television business has always licensed its product for um, syndication to into foreign markets, um, into virtually anybody, into um, home entertainment uh, uh, across the board. They are fundamentally in the licensing business. Um, so Netflix comes along and says, we want to pay you $3 billion. They go, hmm, great. Uh, mm. I, I just put my thumb up. Um, <laughs> um, well, and, talk, well, talk to us about the economics of YouTube. I remember when it was uh, acquired by Google. It was a steep price then for $1.5 billion, but it looks like a song in hindsight. And yet you read recently that this is not something that pays uh, Google, the, the mothership, very handsomely. Um, uh, people buy no, I mean, I skip think, ads. I, and, I mean, um, YouTube remains an, um, a business problem and to some degree an existential problem for for Google now, Google can obviously support it, but but it is a um, um, there is still no successful or obvious business model at YouTube. Um, it doesn't really make very much money. The television business makes much more money. Um, one episode of the Big Bang Theory. Um, takes in what a week of YouTube takes in. That's incredible. Um, <laughs> um, so, and, and and YouTube continues to try to figure this figure this out, and they've gone through iteration after iteration. Um, and where they end up in the end, I you know I suspect they end up as a as a as an over the top streaming service, wow. um, and with a subscription and. Um, and they look at, obviously, they are looking at Netflix and, and, and Hulu and Amazon and saying, that is a better way to do it than, than, um, than all these people in their bedrooms doing and, whatever you know, I they do, do in I their I do bedrooms. have to ask you, reading the book and television is a new television, and also this, this great column that you just put out, uh, Why Journalists Hype Digital Media. Is there any evidence anywhere that uh, digital content pays for itself? That you know, you could take it at its extreme. The YouTube video, uh, the ad that nobody watches, skip in five seconds. Is there, if you know, if I were to if I were to take the the most uh, the most expensive traditional kind of analog media talent out there and make him exclusively digital native, is there any way that um, the digital rents could pay for his yeah, salary well, the, well, or his course, talent? Yeah, I mean there is. I mean I don't know. I mean, of any remember the media that, the really. media business is 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 on its most basic level an arbitrage business. Um, it costs me X to make this piece of content if I can earn X plus um, a penny, um, then um, I'm doing okay. Um, so that's why the digital world looks the way it does. I mean, it is essentially content that can't cost very much money. Actually, and ideally it's content that doesn't cost any money, any money at, at all. all. Right. Um, and you can then, you know, and then you make something against that, um, just not very much. There was that example uh, of Walt Mossberg at the Wall Street Journal who left 
Rupert's uh, reservation, was it a year and a half ago, to go off with Kara Swisher, the other star columnist. They had the kicked, kicked off the reservation. Kicked off the reservation. So what? Why? Why is it that Rupert wouldn't want? You, you've obviously covered Rupert quite a bit. The Murdochs. You spent a lot of time with him on the record, off the record. Why wouldn't they want something there that's so gleaming in all things digital and uh, that conference business? I mean, hidden after all. He didn't like them, but he, he had like written them. down how much of five billion dollars. Yeah, he didn't he spent. like them. He's I mean, got a lot. Of, you know, one of the one of the virtues of running a big company and having vast amounts of money is that you don't have to work with people like Kara Swisher. Very simple. Who would want to? Life is too short. But there, I take take that example for me here as a print journalist, who's someone who has read Walt and Kara for the longest time. They were the example, and there was a great, I think, a Ken Oletta piece in the New Yorker about how Walt wrote his own memo and redefined this beat with uh, the the Walendas at at Dow Jones, you know, twenty five years ago. You would have thought that he is a person whose byline could have traveled. They could have been successful secessionists. But in the end, their business, which they rebranded as Recode, which recently sold, was it to Vox? Yes. Vox Media. It could not sustain. What was it? It could not sustain those salaries. So was it an example of yeah, no, the no, journalistic yeah, yeah. byline could not travel? Well, of, of, of course. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it. I think it probably somewhat traveled. But again, it's that it's it's an arbitrage situation in which your your content and they had hired tons of people and um and suddenly they were looking at traffic numbers that um, that weren't going to monetize to what they were spending. And um, so sees that. How do you monetize traffic? I don't see any evidence. No, you don't. I mean, that's. That, uh, I mean, I look. I step back from all this. And again, to your comment on you know why journalists hype digital media, you look at Business Insider, which is Henry Blodgett's um, venture-backed arm. I think uh, uh, Jeff Bezos of Amazon was an investor. It was recently clocked at a two hundred million dollar valuation. Is that all really a venture capital parlor game when you look at these guys right now? Is this all based on enterprise value? Because I don't see any evidence of these ads, be it native advertising or banner ads or clicks and this, uh, paying for the talent. The thesis is that um, that at some point a model will develop, that a model must develop even the thesis is because because um, the attention of the audience is here, that that digital has been able to sweep up this massive, massive, massive audience, um, that somebody is going to figure out how to turn it into incredibly profitable television-like media. Now, that has been the theory since, um, since 1995. Um, so 20 years later, how much closer are we to that theory? Um, not, not all that much closer. Um, nobody has unlocked this. I mean, the column that I wrote about Business Insider, which I think is, you know, does good work and is interesting in many ways, but the, the column is, is really looking at all of the iterations that it has gone through trying to unlock the key to everybody is chasing something well everyone is chasing something elusive and we've had a very generous venture window and tech bubble 3.0 window open for a long time right now and that's allowed many journalists out there i know a lot of people in my profession there's been this air of secessionism in the air you can kind of go off on your own you can strike out on your own because these these uh, explainer websites, you know, BuzzFeed. I I don't understand uh, BuzzFeed. Is is that something? I mean, you're hearing that that these models work because 
millennials are engaged because they don't count on traditional advertising metrics. But is again, just to, to seal this off, is there um, any illustration anywhere, I don't know, old media, new media, that the cash flow of these businesses can sustain the talent carrying costs alone? Has anybody pulled that off? Nobody. Zero. Nobody. So the the cross subsidy, the 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 arbitrage and, and, is still there. You're dependent on advertising. Yes. And and just as a, um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the arbitrage. It just it it it, it needs to be a, a profitable arbitrage, um, which it isn't at this point. And you know, one of the measures here is nobody has gotten out of this business. There have been no exits since um, Ariana Huffington sold the Huffington. Um, Ariana Huffington and Kenny Lehrer sold the um, uh, the Huffington Post in 2011. Is that just a greater fool theory? And then Huffington Post goes to AOL, which recently sold to Verizon, which is never going to be measured on its content business. Well, I think it was. It, it, that was a moment in time. I mean, I mean actually, it's. I, I think the the more interesting thing is to look at, looking at it not as the opposite of the greater fool. Nobody is buying these companies now. So in since that deal was done in 2011, eff- effectively there have been no other deals. Um, so you look everybody at this rumor that Comcast might go after a BuzzFeed or buy a venture stake in in a Vox or no, I think it's it actually that's just presented as good news. In fact, it's bad news. So what that's saying is that NBC is willing to invest a little money, but not willing to buy these companies. That's what these companies are looking for. They're looking to be taken out. They need an exit. But And they continue to take this kind of dribbled in money because there is no exit. So existentially speaking, there is uh, no pot at the end of the rainbow for them from a cash flow perspective. Like my talent will be vindicated. My byline will be vindicated by someone paying for my content. There is, from that standpoint, there is there is no pot, and there is no pot from the standpoint of somebody. You know, I build a company, and it's not yet profitable, and maybe we don't see how it's going to get profitable, but we can get out. Nobody can get out. Talk to me, uh, Michael, about the uh, incumbents. Uh, obviously, Wall Street Journal was sold, I believe, in 2007 to Rupert Murdoch. He vastly overpaid for Dow Jones, I think $5 billion. He wrote down north of $3 Five, billion. 5.6. But. He wanted it. It was a bauble. Uh, but but I will I will revise that, that, that view because um, last week, week before last, um, uh, the Financial Times was sold for $1.3 billion. Sure. Um, that would mean that, so it's sold just about at the level that that uh, the multiple that the Wall Street Journal or Dow Jones was, was sold at. So it is beginning to look like Rupert got a good deal. Um, you know, we, we've been through this, this but moment. But then if you look at the Washington Post and the Graham selling out to Jeff Bezos, you know, the and, number well, was an unthinkable $250 Well, I would say that he right? got a great deal. I he mean, got a great deal. So, but the... so e- each of these things, we, we've gone through this this period in which, in which the value of newspapers fell through the floor. No one wanted newspapers. Um, newspapers were thought to be the... the um, um, they're the last gasp. Uh, most newspaper companies believe that. Even the New York Times has has yeah, repeatedly talk to me, talk to me about repeatedly said that they were right. that their future was the future is digital. Where you know the newspaper is is um, 
um, would disappear in relatively short order. And then the Financial Times comes along. The Financial Times has been quite interesting because its digital strategy was really um, to erect a draconian paywall. Paywall. I never understood and, the paywall there. <laughs> um, and, and it really focused attention back on the newspaper itself. Um, and the payoff for that has been huge. So I think suddenly, you know, you know, these single deals, you you begin to see, um, they kind of lift everyone's, uh, um, um, uh, you know, the, the your your eyes clear. And I think that I think that what we'll see now is a is a, a realization that these newspapers with these um, incredible international brands are um, are worth a great deal. And um, I am sure at, at the New York Times, the the shareholders there are rubbing their hands together and saying, there's a buyer out there that's going to pay us a lot of money. Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. We're talking to Michael Wolf, media columnist extraordinaire. He's written for Vanity Fair, New York Magazine. You can read him now in USA Today, uh, GQ in the UK, The Guardian. Michael, I see your byline just just everywhere. Don't it's forget not, the Hollywood Reporter. The Hollywood Reporter. That's right. I I emailed you last week and asked you, did you get poached? He's like, ah, uh, contraire, mon frère. I write for many publications now. I'm omnivorous. Is that just the nature of the beast these days? Um, it works for me. I think most people it probably doesn't work for most people, but um, I, I like to. Um, I like to keep working. Well, I like to, I like it too. How in the world, everybody wants to know, did the USA Today convince you to pen um, your kind of your home base column for them? You uh, would have scoffed at them like everyone else that this is a courtyard by Marriott publication. Why would I want to sully my hands on this? No, I and I never, never to someone who's who writes a check. I I never think of that them that way. I think when someone writes a check, they're um they're the they're God's people. Um, Do you think your job is is safe over there? The parent company, I mean, Gannett is now gone. What Pure Play TV? Uh, yeah, but they've they've well, no, Gannett is the is, is the, the print is stub? the pr- is the print company. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, well, as I said, I I am a great believer in newspapers. Um, I think I think the only thing necessary about newspapers is that they have to believe in themselves. Hmm. So, what about let's go back to the New York Times because they are the last big family-owned pure play out there. You know, they've gotten rid of their stake in the Boston Red Sox. They they shed the Boston Globe, which they vastly overpaid for. Um, you know, all this about .com, Ledger Domain, everything else they had going on. They made some huge mistakes with their real estate investments, ill-timed dividends. I want to know about the supposed restless uh, family members. They can look at the stock market right now, which is near an all-time high. They can look at their company stock, which is uh, you know, down something like 80% in a decade. Why isn't there any sort of clamoring like, uh, where's my money? You're not giving me a fat dividend. Well, I, I, I think that that's, that's easy. In the last, in recent years, um, I, I don't think that there's been an exit for them. What, what could they do? They could sell the company for what seemed like nothing. They might as well, they might as well at, at least hold on, at least then they have something to... Um, um, they have some stature. That's still it's still the New York Times. Um, but I think now with the FT deal and the possibility that this company is is worth worth FT like money, um, 
probably changes the game. Will the family sell this company? You know, I, I think at an FT-like offer, they um, they could not but sell the company. But wasn't the FT offer uh, indicative of of the Dow Jones Wall Street Journal takeout price? I mean, that was that was time stamped in two thousand and seven. Uh, you could have seen the family sell out in 2007 and forego a lot of pain. I mean, they had to take loan shark money well, from Carlos Slim. I, in I don't Mexico, think that they right? that I I don't think that they they knew the times were going to get that bad. I mean, that's why no, nor did nor did Rupert. Rupert mm-hmm. paid 5.6 billion um, a year later. He could have had the company for uh, a fraction of that. Um, so nobody knew that the that the train was going to go off the cliff, so and net, it net, went the, off. The enterprise value, the market cap right now, the New York Times, even at thirteen dollars a share, is two billion dollars. If if this is just a bauble to some uh, mogul out there, Carlos Slim of Mexico has said that I've, I really like the, the 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 thing. I mean, he called back his his loan money. They paid him back on time, and then some. Mike Bloomberg had said he'd be interested, uh, maybe in a foundation setting. You don't imagine something like five billion dollars being prohibitive to someone uh, to buy the crown jewel newspaper asset on the globe. Well, five billion dollars. Let me point out, almost to anyone is a lot of money. Um, but um, but I think that there probably are companies uh, companies who would be um, from in newspaper markets that are that are still viable if not rich who would pay double that market cap. But there's the something about you know Arthur Salzberger Jr. They just don't want to sell. They seem to think that it's it's they are the only ones who can be benevolent. Well, I, I you know I mean you always hear of course. They don't want to sell until they sell, um, and um, you know the Salzberger family is is a multi generational, um, um, extended clan of shareholders, mm. um, and like the um, like at the Wall Street Journal, um, it comes a point where people say, you know, I, I I don't, you know, a lot of people here, we don't really feel that connection anymore. Um, we feel a connection, but you know we'd like the money more. And certainly, um, the dividend is not there like it as big as it used to be. Right. I, I mean, I think it's it's, it's almost inevitable. First thing, it's you know, I mean, they're going to have the future of the New York Times is going to depend upon. Uh, it's going to need a lot of new investment. Hmm. Um, they don't have the money to make that to make. And there is no model there that could pay for. As I've said in the past, all these bureaus they have flak jackets for reporters in Afghanistan, in Iraq, digital a digital native model would not pay for that clearly not um so so i i think that it's going to become you know as as i said that was not attractive if if no one was going to pay you anything mm. but if suddenly somebody is going to pay you a lot of money you can walk away someone's going to invest in this at some point if you're the salzberger family whose main motivation theoretically is stewardship of this great newspaper then part of that stewardship is to say it should go here because that will provide a better future. Well, talk for to it. me about stewardship because Jeff Bezos came in and, and quote unquote rescued uh, the Washington Post, which was ailing the parent company, the Washington Post company, and traditionally depended on Kaplan Education, whose whose cash flows uh, were not enough to kind of uh, sustain. Uh, the poor financials at the newspaper company isn't Bezos, who after all, you know, he's worth twenty-five billion dollars. He's not being judged 
on the profitability of Amazon, his core holding all that much. Isn't he the ideal person to have owning uh, a newspaper? He's not going to care about the day to day. He just uh, you yeah, know, well, he might. Uh, come back I mean, later. I think the Washington Post seems uh, seems very pleased with his his ownership at this this point in time. It um, seems to have gotten this lust for life back. This yeah, zest. I mean, I mean you know, bylines. I mean, all and owners are as as good as their willingness to keep paying the uh, people who work for them. Right. Bloomberg is something you also wrote, wrote about a couple of weeks ago and that the mayor is back. He uh, has been back in control of his company since he left City Hall. I believe it was the beginning of 2014. And he's rolled up his sleeves and has gotten very involved in a business that looks really different from what he stepped away from circa 2001 and 2002. They had bought my alma mater, Business Week. They invested much more in TV and radio, in a conference business. And you point out really rightfully that the core business itself, which is almost an ana- you would think it's an anachronism in the age of the web and all open standards, has never had as many subscribers, has never been so profitable, and uh, disproportionately, the the journalism business has never been as immaterial to the entire operation. So why is he spending all of his time on the journalism business? Well, I, I think that he's. <laughs> I think that's probably the question he's asking himself right now. Um, now, part of the issue is that I'm, I mean, I'm sure he's spending time on the on the terminal business too, such as it is. But the terminal business um, um, rather runs um, doesn't 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 need too much help. Um, I, but I think he's trying to figure out the media business. I think he's trying to figure out what he wants to do personally. And that might involve buying the New York Times. I mean, he actually wanted to buy the FT and and curiously was bidding for the FT at depressed newspaper prices, sort of like I want the FT, but I'm not going to I'm not going to pay. Um, uh, I'm not going to look foolish in buying the FT. Um, so now he looks somewhat foolish and not looking foolish, um, if you know what I mean. Um but I think it's a big. It's it's. Listen, if if you were Michael Bloomberg, that's an existential issue. What do I want to be when I grow up, even more? Um, I think Michael Bloomberg should run for president. I think it is the perfect time. Um, I think Hillary Clinton is extremely vulnerable, and I think he still may. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he may buy the New York Times. Um, What's stopping him from going hostile on the New York Times? Because after all, Rupert did. You just lob an offer over the fence and force the family to come back and say, no, we have a better plan B? Uh, you know, I think because he's um, – because it, it's actually the structure is is a little different at the New York no, Times. No, we know it has a super voting structure um, that the family has, but he, but he it's even a little the issue. It's, it's, an, it's a different structure than, um, than even Dow Jones had, um, and I think it would be difficult to do. I don't think Michael Bloomberg is not a hostile – Raider. Um, he's not Rupert Murdoch. Um, I don't think that he would do that kind of deal unless they agreed to sell it to him. And I think that the other thing is, I don't think that he wants to pay what they want to be paid. Mm-hmm. So, um, is this an on a, a long time negotiation? Um, yeah, I think so. Remember, I mean, Rupert spent. Um, other than then the last the 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 six months that it took him to get that deal done, he had been bidding for the Wall Street Journal for close to fifteen years before that. Mm-hmm. And of course, now uh, the Wall Street Journal and Dow Jones are no longer cross subsidized by the hugely profitable entertainment company. 
um, with 20, 21st Century Fox, uh, Fox News, that's all in a different unit, and News Corp is in its own unit. Uh, he was magnanimous in splitting them off and giving News Corp a lot of cash uh, to have. Well, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Um, I would look at it that he was magnanimously gave himself a lot of cash. Mm. Um, so those are these are two companies that that um, both of which he runs. You know, usually in a spinoff, sure. Um, you have one company, and then that goes away. And, um, and but then, he could then, have done what Jeff Bukes did and said, "Time Inc. You know, in fact, I'm going to saddle you with debt. I'm going to orphan you, kick you to the street." Well, no, but but it did recourse back to him. I know, and it's sticking. In other words, cash. he remains. That that means he just would have been taking on the debt. Remember, sure. remember, he remains the the majority shareholder of both companies. Right. Um, and he's a, the effective CEO of both companies. Well, talk to me about juggle that. those titles. What happens both to the Wall Street Journal and to Fox News, Roger Ailes at Al, when uh, uh, Mr. Murdoch uh, either uh, loses his lucidity or, or passes away? I, I, I want to know how it happens in the hands of his children. Oh, well, I, I don't think anybody quite quite knows this. The children, things happen, but the children... Um, the children have the same, have a similar interest to the father, which is to protect the assets that they own and to grow this company. Um, but does someone like a Roger Ailes not strike these guys as boorish? Or, you know, we got to do entertainment for the sake of entertainment. But you even see Rupert himself tweeting in favor of certain aspects of gun control that, that Fox News does not parry that position. It, it, there seems to be, a, and you've written about well, it, they're, some they're dissonance not in, between the family and these guys. They're not in the political business, they're in the media business. Um, so um, Fox News is the greatest contributor to the um, uh, to the bottom line in this, in this company. Mm. Um, so who would want to take responsibility for ousting um, Roger Ailes, and then, um, and then seeing what happens to this company. Is Fox News really uh, the, the secret sauce of Roger Ailes? I mean, if Roger Ailes goes away, if he drifts away, or if he becomes sick, is one, somebody else able to replicate that experience? One hundred percent, the secret sauce of Roger Ailes. Hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think that you know, I mean, the brand is strong enough that it would continue. It's not going to go away, but it would go. It's not going to go away in a year or two, but in three or four, without Roger Ailes, without question. Um, so I think that they're. It's it's not that they're sitting over there and 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 saying how do we get rid of Roger Ailes. It's they're sitting over there and saying what's going to happen to us if we lose Roger Ailes. And what about the journal? That seems to be uh, the old man's bauble. It's not something that his children might share enthusiasm for. The cash flows are not as attract, not nearly as attractive. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. The Murdoch family is is um, is very attached to its traditions. Um, might they just sort of further spin off the um, uh, the newspaper company, um, uh, sell down their holdings in it? Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's possible. I think it's a sort of wait and see and. Um, um, and trying to figure this out, I think it's. I think really that's Rupert's challenge right now. What can he do to this company to make it an attractive and viable legacy? Hmm. Um, and he feels this this very very hotly. Um, I think he knows that his children could sell this out from under um, um, 
under his legacy, and um, and that would that would pain him. So his job right now is to figure out um, what to do with this company so that um, they'll want to keep it. Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. We are taking a metaphorical walk up and down 6th Avenue and Madison Avenue with media columnist Michael Wolf. Um, take me to Time Warner, uh, because Rupert did make some sort of hesitating uh, bid. Uh, it was mentioned in passing that he was willing to buy out Time Warner, which is the parent of HBO, CNN, uh, Turner Sports. Oh, I, I think he would have loved that company. I think um, television is the new television is a Rupert mantra. But he, he would have he spit believes, out CNN. I mean, for regulatory reasons, they wouldn't let him have Fox News and CNN. I don't think he'd want CNN. Oh, he would love to have CNN. Oh, he would. But as you say, um, that would that was the table stakes. He had to say he was going to get rid of CNN. Um, what do you think about CNN? Because the rest of Time Warner, you could say, look, this company has been streamlined. It is uh, the, the patsy in the worst acquisition in history, AOL Time Warner. We thought that was going to be the, the vindication of fat pipes and content and AOL and streaming Sopranos, it never happened. They finally rebranded the company. They got through their their, their horrific period. HBO is the cat's meow. Uh, it has a, a great streaming franchise. Um, there are, are you know, the, the stock price has been resurgent. They shed print. At this point, it seems like CNN is the albatross, though. Uh, maybe no, they are. No, no, totally, totally. They are. They are totally, getting these requisite fees from totally the cable companies. Correct. So CNN is in a marvelously good business. But um, because of, but you, as you just, pointed out, because of the it, legacy structures of cable payments and bundling, it's not. Yeah, well, because that's it's, not. That's not going away. Right. Um, you know, the. I mean, CNN is in the enviable position that. Um, um, that the stronger Fox gets, um, the stronger CNN gets, because you you can't have a a cable franchise with What's just like a Coke and Pepsi, with just Fox. Yes, right. you have to have this other this other thing that that creates this semblance. So, what of, of the of conventional balance. wisdom that they've been sucking wind now for 15, 16 years? Fox came out of nowhere after totally. all the well, mid nineties. They, they absolutely have. I mean, they're they're in this this awkward position of being successful no matter what they do. They don't have to earn their success. So therefore, in in part because they don't really try, in part because why change something that works? Do you think that rankles with Bukas, though, privately? This is a content guy. He's an HBO guy. He's an eye for talent on HBO. Well, Sopranos not, was there he's under not, him. He's not a content guy. He's a financial guy. That's what Bukas does. He's grown up on in the financial side of the company. Um, so, yeah, I mean, listen, all of these guys are... Um, uh, like to go to dinner parties and have have mm. people tell them how wonderful their shows are, and they don't like going to dinner parties and saying what's with CNN. That's uh, you know, Jesus, that really sucks. Um, but on the other hand, they like their share price to go up. They like their uh, you know, would you sacrifice CNN's proven revenues um, for the possibility that it could become a um, an interesting and quirky and who knows what um, programming bit of programming genius. No, obviously not. Um, but so, he would be amenable if somebody came and offered. I think the number, the whisper number, is eight to ten billion dollars for CNN. He would part ways with it. Conventional wisdom says so. But of well, course, ev you, everybody, you fight everything, conventional wisdom. Everything for sale is mm. for sale at the proper price. 
Uh, I recall when these guys spun off their one-storied magazine division, which I wanted to be a part of. When I moved to New York City, I heard these, you know, People Magazine, that cash cow, Sports Illustrated, Money Magazine used to be a cash cow. They had a thud factor. There was a drink cart at close for People Magazine. Somebody in a white cart would come and mix you a, 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 a vermouth. Uh, you know, a, a fruity beverage. Could you imagine that there were free sodas there? And you go back and you cover this company when it was orphaned. And, you know, Norman Perlstein is back there again. And you notice that uh, in this building, in the Time Life building that they're about to be kicked out of, nobody even cleans the conference room tables. Uh, you know, the soda rings are on it. It's just a sticky, m- a musty, sticky yes. place. Um, I noticed that when uh, Jeff Bukas and Time Warner successfully spun off and orphaned uh, Time Inc. That very week, they also tried to have discussions to buy Vice for that very price. There's this stuff in the press that they've had this dance with Vice, the new millennial-centric media company. Uh, What do you you think about Vice, and what do you think about its meaning to a huge conglomerate like a Time Warner? Well, Time Warner didn't buy it, and, um, but, you know, Vice is is a, is in the television business, it's a programming bet. What do I think about about Vice? I think Vice is a um, well. It's an identity looking for a business. It usually works the other way around. Um, you know, it's built an an incredibly um, attractive brand. It's it has enormous clarity in the market. Um, it is one of the few, I think, digital media properties that with its combination with its television reach um with its the the originality of its point of view and its and its content um it, it is a contender um but the emphasis on contender um it hasn't really proven itself it doesn't really even have an audience actually that's how strong its brand is that people know what it is even though they've never seen anything on Vice. Well, I you know, for my part I see these these amazing shows on HBO. There was that that hour-long series like Dennis Rodman in North Korea with with Dear Leader or uh, some of the things that they tweet out or some of these outrageous stories. I want to know again is it that 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 quandary that Vox and Business Insider and all these guys have is anybody actually paying for that content or is it just the perception that that content has to be valuable because it's so different? Well, you know, they have they're, um, yes, I mean, uh, you know, you sell a show to HBO, they're going to pay you for it. Um, that's television. One of the things that, that Vice is trying to do is actually um, is actually go into the television business. They're trying to use their digital brand success to lever their way back into a television channel. Hmm. Um understanding that that's where the money is. And where the money is when you look at the behemoth in this industry right now, Comcast, which which was hugely vindicated. You recall back in your burn rate days when uh, old AT&T under, under Michael Armstrong went on a cable binge. And Comcast, the, Brian, the Roberts father and son team, they just waited in the bushes for these assets to become distressed. And they cobbled together the biggest cable empire in the country. And along the way, they got to buy NBC at a good price from, from General Electric. What do you think NBC means to them now? I, I think it's just an ego play. I don't think it means that much to them. I think they're proud of it. Um, I think it's a good, it's, it's, it's a, a, a branding tool for them. Um, but their business would, would be actually easier without it. 
So if, if you know, for example, when they went after Time Warner Cable, if regulators had said to them, um, I'm going to make you fall on your sword to do this. You need to spin off NBC Universal to buy they sh- Time they Warner sh- Cable. They, they would have, they, they certainly would have done that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't that easy. Whoa. Because you're reading for all this stuff about the, the consternation there, the cultural difficulties. You have cable guys, you know, Philly guys, who have to deal with talent issues, with the chasm, you know, yeah, these characters out I of mean, Rock I Center. don't think that anybody doesn't doesn't acknowledge that it's a relative mess at NBC. It's it's a it it really hasn't been a very a very strong fit. Um, were you surprised when they went back to the old lion that, you know, Andy Lack, who made a name for himself decades ago to come in and restore a situation in something no, that is... No, I mean, I think... No, I, I wasn't. I think you go and you, you know, you know, when the children screw up, you know, you go and try to find an adult. Hmm. So, I mean, I think I think totally Andy is an absolute... Um, um, a, a, a guy who knows how to run a network news division, and there are not too many people like that. And it comes back to your thesis in television is the new television. A lot of stuff, you know, for all the talk we hear about newfangled thinking and newfangled metrics and uh, venture capital froth, uh, a lot of the discipline uh, still reverts back to uh, people who made their names in this business, you know, decades ago. Les Moonves at CBS, you know, I think- which is thriving, or, or the, the TV people, the studio people at Disney are back in charge. So it very much cleaves against conventional wisdom. It turns here. out to be a kind of ironic thing that that the best thing to do for your business is not to change it. Hmm. Now that's a weird thing because we've just we are in the middle and haven't have lived through um, more than a decade um, in which the word is disruption. Um, your business is going to be disrupted if you don't if you don't adapt it will be disrupted. You have to be a disruptor um, the television business said none of that. We're 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 just going to do what we've always done, mm. and um, um, and in the end, that has proved to be so much a wiser strategy than um, than other media companies who 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 tried to tie themselves into um, knots to be something that they fundamentally are not. Michael, in the two minutes we have left with you, give us your hairiest prediction for the balance of this decade. The craziest thing to happen? Are we in the midst of another bubble? Is there going to be a Minsky moment? Well, merger? We're, 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 we're certainly in the midst of another bubble. I think that we'll see a lot of roll-ups in the digital, certainly in the digital media space. Um, and I think, and the entire point of this book that, I, that, that I've written is that um, is that the media business, and write that as large as you want to lo- write it, um, reverts back to television. That um, that the revolution, which began in the early fifties, the television revolution continues on, and um, and the digital um, revolution, as it were, will just be seen as a as a kind of curious digression. We were talking to Michael Wolf, uh, the Wolf of Madison Avenue, if you will, the feared uh, and adored media columnist here in New York at NPR Studios. You must read his new book, Television is a New Television, as well as his column in USA Today, which I just jump on the instant I see them posted on Twitter. Michael knows I love his stuff. And thank you so much for, for schlepping out here to be with us. Thank you for having me. Full disclosure, we are digitally native, unbundled, clickbait-free, streaming Catch Us on NPR One, iTunes, WRIR, Stitcher, and SoundCloud on Facebook and Twitter at Full D Radio. 
I'm Robin Farzad. Back at you next week. <laughs>